Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings Podcast, episode number 42. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always every week, is Prince of Asturias, Mitchell Davis. <laughs> the Prince is here. <laughs> how's, how's it going, man? Uh, good, man. What's up? How have you been? No, uh, pretty good. Just really busy, as, as usual, with work and family and... In the Texas heat, I love it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not what you were saying you? earlier. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. How about you? How you How you doing? I'm doing yeah. good, man. Um, about to head to New York uh, later this week, and so for the rest of the summer, I'll be podcasting from there, and that should be interesting. But for now, <laughs> cool. uh, I'm here. Um, yeah, New city. Well, not the city. I'm, I'm going to be um, upstate, like. Uh, up in the Adirondack Mountains, out in the woods. Oh, that's actually that's actually <laughs> even better. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Good be pictures. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like, uh, it's just way out in the woods, you know, up in the mountains. Really nice, kind of far away from cities and all that stuff. But for whatever reason, at least it was like this last year. I hope it. Is, I hope it still is. The internet, the internet is like incredible there. I don't understand like how they get this internet there, but anyway, mm. uh, they've got this like wireless internet over the whole thing that's like really fast. So I don't know what they're doing, but yeah, it's, it it could be. I guess the the whole satellite feed. I've I've seen some some satellite feed type internets that are. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's worth the price of what you pay. Apparently, it's pricey, but it's. I mean, if you're in a place like like you said, in the mountains where there's trees and normally, you know, that that causes that type of thing to not work all that well. Apparently, this is this is the bomb, as they say, you know, people yeah. live way out in the country, way out in the woods. This is the way to go. If yeah. You want to get your Internet service. Apparently, it works really well. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it will work as well as it did last year and won't have any problems. But. Oh, one thing I wanted to to mention. I, I was going to talk to you about this before the show, but you know, whatever, screw it. I'll just talk to you about it on the show. Okay. Um, yesterday we went down to uh, Indianapolis to the Idle Jord Museum. They had a uh, a guitar exhibit, mm-hmm. and man, it was super cool. So I mean, it, really? if anybody's around in the Indiana Indianapolis area, you, and you like music, you know, you should go see this. I mean, they've got um. You know, a bunch of like historic guitars, you know, like really, really early guitars from like the you know 18th and 19th centuries. Um, they've got a bunch of guitars, like a bunch of famous guitars, like you know, Charlie Christian's guitar and mm-hmm. um, Johnny Cash's guitar and Kurt Cobain's guitar and Jimi Hendrix's guitar. And yeah, that Cliff, sounds cool. One thing I geeked out was they have Cliff Burton's bass. Uh, from Metallica, <laughs> yeah, that's that's cool too. Like I said, any, anybody who's in the in in the stuff like that, where you just get to see, you know, all these legendary people's, you know, gear, I, I would love to see that too. That that sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, and there's a huge exhibit on, you know, how, how uh, guitars became electrified and all, all these really interesting, like early sort of pickup systems. You know, they're just mm-hmm. really crazy looking and look like they could burn down your house if you. 
you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that, that was that was really cool. But uh, so yeah, I, man, go see that if you're around Indianapolis. But um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah. Um, to, on this week, uh, let's see. We've got, of course, uh, three albums from Tom Moon's book, One Thousand Recordings to Hear Before You Die. Uh, we're going to listen to Kadona, their album Kadona Three, then Leonard Cohen songs of Leonard Cohen, and then finally Nat King Cole, the complete after midnight sessions. Um, so let's start with Kadona, uh, their album Kadona Three, released in 1982. This was a trio of uh, Don Cherry, Colin Walcott, and Nana Vasconcelos. I don't, what what are your impressions of this group? Um, just something that that probably wouldn't have happened if it had not been for the the ECM label, which you know, dude, ECM, yeah, they they're one of the the most interesting labels out there, and one of the most fearless, too, yeah, probably, yeah, exactly. I mean, I I mean, people tried to label this, you know, like we were talking before, kind of like as as a world music type situation, but I look at it more as as a a music where it's just taking roots of certain things. And, and kind of putting it together maybe in an esoteric at times type way where there's really no way to describe some of this. I mean, it's it's just, you know, different influences that sort of come together uh, in sort of like a free association type manner uh, where it actually works. And I mean, that I mean, that speaks to the talent of the, the guys playing. And their aptitude for sort of blending, you know, forces in music that normally seem like they don't belong together at all, you know. And uh, yeah. I, I really like it. I mean, it, it's a record I wouldn't mind listening to and maybe owning as well. I mean, because of the the the, the different perspective on on the style of musics that kind of come together to create something new. So yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Yeah, the three musicians, Don Cherry. We already talked about Don Cherry, so I'm not going to... Uh, it, we talked about him on a previous episode uh, with his group, Old and New Dreams, that we talked about with Dewey Redman, Charlie Hayden, and Eric uh, Eric Ed Blackwell. Um, so I'm not going to uh, go into his background. Yeah. Um, Colin Walcott was an interesting and talented dude. Um, he was a student of Ravi Shankar, Mm-hmm. And studied tabla, which is the Indian sort of clay drum, and sitar. So he studied those with uh, Ravi Shankar. He also played drums, violin, guitar, piano, percussion, marimba, and kalimba. That he uh, the kalimba is like the the African thumb piano thing. Mm-hmm. I love um, those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And he made his own from a gas can. Oh so played, man, that is awesome. Played that, I know. <laughs> I know. You know that thing sounded awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a, a... One thing I thought was interesting is he was an original member of Oregon, which was a a jazz group um, that featured some really... I mean, they were a really great group. Or I, I think they're still going. Um, it featured a, a saxophone player named Paul McCandless and then a guitarist named Ralph Towner. That, Ralph Towner is one of my favorite guitarists of all time. And... Uh, he uh he's actually in the book so we're going to be talking about ralph later on but yeah that's that's a group that i was not familiar with that's something i was i was like really interested in in trying to find out about them when i saw that i was like okay here something new you know yeah uh, yeah 
I mean, Paul McCandless um, is one of these guys that's played with not just Oregon, but a lot of different people. He's done a lot of work with Bella Fleck and the Flecktones and um, and other group. He plays. He he not doesn't just play saxophone. He also plays a lot of oboe. So you don't really have hear a lot of oboe in jazz. But um, yeah. Um, then uh, the third member is uh, Nana Vasconcelos, a Brazilian percussionist. Uh, so plays all just a huge assortment of, uh, you know, Latin American, South American, and, and African, of course, percussion. Um, he's played, again, another, a guy that's played with a bunch of different people, Pat Metheny, Egberto Gismonti, Gato Barbieri, uh, and he also made a record with Ralph Towner. Mm-hmm. So uh, just those two. Um, so we're going to start with uh, Inner Organs, this, this uh, track, Inner Organs. Um, and I think if this is Don Cherry on organ and trumpet, so he's like going back and forth. Um, Walcott is playing tabla on this, and Vasconcelos is playing percussion. So it's sort of organ and trumpet, and then this uh, rhythm section of tabla and percussion. You know, just a really, really, at first, you know, kind of strange sounding arrangement where, I mean, you know, it didn't really seem to have a, a structure like anything I'd, I'd ever heard before. And, um, you know, kind of, like I said, really kind of cool esoteric feel to it where you, you have all these sort of unusual sounds like, like the organ you mentioned, Don Cherry probably, probably played the organ that, that kind of jumped out right away. You know, it, it, it almost kind of reminded me of, of what, what Miles Davis did with, uh, with bitches brew, not exactly like that, Oh but, yeah, no, I can I can see what you're saying. Yeah. But but kind of kind of reminded me of that that feel where it was it was a bit strange, but but still melodic and yeah and 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 just it, it has a cool feel to it. And like I said, I mean, you know, they they kind of do this thing where I think even they don't even know what's gonna happen at times when they're playing. I mean they 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 have this sort of free feel about them when they when they're playing and it's just like let's just kind of you know do this and and do what feels good and do what sounds good you know and and just let the music take us where it's going to take us yeah you know which can be really really fun i mean if you have you know musicians with the level of talent like these guys you know so yeah 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 this this music i mean i i don't mean to say this as like an insult to the music at all but when i hear this you know i'm kind of fi- picture like a it's like an opium den music or something you yeah know? it's like yeah, you exactly. know dark going, going and, bitches brew i mean it's that's that's the same kind of feel i got yeah. to where it's like man somebody's getting blasted you know? yeah it's like a bunch of people laying around on opium beds you know within this like sort of haze of smoke and just listening to this i don't know yeah 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 let's uh let's check this out this first track from Kadona. this is inner organs
And we just heard Inner Organs from Godona, and we're going to move on to their track, Clicky Clacky. And uh, thanks to Mitch, man. This this is another uh, one of those records that we occasionally encounter in this book that I just had a, a really hard time finding tracks for us to even listen to. Um, and you found this like at the last minute. Uh, but, it, I mean, if you hadn't found this, we would have just had that one track. One track, yeah. <laughs> um, and this is like, uh, I don't, this is something I just did. I just didn't expect this, I guess. But I mean, it's like a, it's like an old sort of Delta blues railroad song mm-hmm. played on sitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very playful, um, you know, but still the same spirit of the record where they, they just take the elements and roots of, of all kinds of music, you know, and, and put them together and make them work, you know, and, and again, like I said, it just, I think it's just kind of like a testament to the, the, the players on the record where, you know, they, they take so, so many different things. Okay. Like the, I guess you call it a brimbal that like that not a plays. I mean, that's like an instrument when you look at it, first of all, I mean, it's just like one of the weirdest looking, you know, what is it type instruments, but I mean, they, they take all sorts of, and 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 make them just make them work you know because they they know what to play they know how to play and seem to love playing you know and i mean i I love that kind of spirit where you know people have have taken things and, and sort of you know you know blended them together you know in a sense to where you know they they challenge what you what you would think music really is um you know, that's always going to be fun, you know, and, and, and it just keeps things from even as, as old as this record is. I mean, I think this record, when it came out, I was like 13 years old. You know, I mean, it, it still is, is one of the, you know, you know, great, innovative sounding records. You know, I think of its time and maybe of this time, you know, I mean, as far as what I've heard, you know, and I mean, we haven't heard a whole lot, you know, but the, the pieces that I've heard have been really cool, you know, yeah. as, as far as innovation. Yeah, do you think it's uh, Don Cherry doing the vocal? I mean, it has to be, right? Because- I thought it was. I, I mean, when I when I first listened to it, I I figured it probably would. It probably was him. Yeah, you know. I think he's doing one part where he's humming with a kazoo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and trying to kind of, kind of making the, the the train whistle sound. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, just kind of kind of playful and and I mean that that that's an element of jazz. I mean, you know, even though, like I said, this. I don't think of it as a jazz record. I mean, but it, it definitely has elements of jazz in it. That that playful nature, you know, where they they kind of you know infuse that into it, and and like you said, the the, the, the sitar. I mean, you know, I, I love that. I love you know the idea that that music doesn't have to stay in one place ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it can always evolve. It can always be different. You know, and it can always be good. I mean, because some people do things where they they blend like this. And it's I mean, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, since we're talking about, the, you know, the title of the song, it can be a train wreck where it sounds awful, you know, and then and you have some really talented guys that get together and try to make stuff like this work. And it just doesn't come through. I mean, and I'm, I don't want to pick on anybody, but I mean, I'm I've seen some of those types of records come out where it's. It's just like a dream team of players, and then the record falls flat. You know. Yeah, 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 man. Um, 
like you said, you know, this is this is really hard to to categorize. You know, it's like yeah. a, it's like it's like a marketing nightmare. I mean, even um, Tom Moon has this classified as jazz, but it's really not. I mean, it's no. really hard to say what it is. Um, it's just yeah, a mix of all different stuff. You know, and these guys are just really adventurous musicians, and it's just really cool to hear. A record, and again, props to yes, uh, ECM for just letting these guys just really just do whatever they wanted and go as far out as they wanted, and you know, try stuff and experiment. And they just, you know, this record, like you said, just ended up working. So, yeah, um, let's check this out. The second track from Kadona. This is Clicky Clacky. We just heard Clicky Clacky from Kadona, and we're going to move on to our second album, Leonard Cohen, Songs of Leonard Cohen, uh, released in 1967. This was actually, uh, I think, I, I think his first yes. album first, music, first right? First release. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. First, okay. first record, yes. It's interesting that this was his first because he was well into his 30s um, in 1967. Um, mm mm-hmm. He was probably, I, I can't remember his birthday, but he was like 34, or 35, like mid-30s when this was released. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's unusual for, you know, an, a music artist, you know, to have their first release in their mid-30s. Um, well, I think the thing with that, too, is Leonard Cohen mainly was a writer. Right, right. And a poet way before he considered singing in front of an audience or in front of anybody. Um, and I mean, he was just one of those guys that 
it, 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 there was, there was an opportunity for him to do this. And, you know, I'm not sure if, if he or anybody else knew, you know, the potential of what he was going to bring, especially to the songwriting world. I mean, he's, to me, I consider him a heavy hitter. I mean, I mean, we go back to the whole singer songwriter genre and how sometimes it, you know, we're banging our head against the wall. But this guy, I mean, you know, some people consider him to be up there with like Bob Dylan when it comes to songwriters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, just like one of those guys that, I mean, he's just amazing. I mean, especially when it comes to singing about love and the and the human condition and the good and bad on both sides. And I think that his his that will be his legacy is that he he deals with the light and the dark, especially of love. I mean, he does not hold back at all. I mean, you know, I mean, just one of those guys that he, he was fearless in, in his songwriting. I mean, when it came to being critical about himself and and about love and about the people that he loved, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's become really uh, one of the most respected, uh, like you said, poets and songwriters of that generation, you know, the sort of uh, baby boomer generation, you know, from, yeah. from, from the 60s until even even now, you know. So, I mean, oh, yeah. guys still going strong, um, still writing music, still writing, you know, he writes poetry, he writes novels, um, and you know, has, has won numerous awards and acclaims for all those things that he does. Um, and on top of that being the, you know, one of the most respected writers and poets in 1986, he was on Miami vice. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. He was in an, apparently he was in an episode called French twist. And I don't know what character he played. Probably, you know, some uh, drug running dude on a boat or something. Yeah, but, you know, I, I I can see him doing a lot of, of acting. I mean, he just kind of has a look about him, you know, uh-huh. where he could he could fit into several roles in, in movies. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's done, you know, a bit of acting here and there. But, you know, I'm surprised he hasn't, you know, kind of broken out as, as an actor. Maybe that's just not really his thing, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, he's known. I mean, he's he's his probably his his best known song at this point is "Hallelujah," um, which has been covered apparently by more than two hundred artists in all yeah. sorts of different languages and different countries. And uh, that that uh, you know, this album, the, the songs of Leonard Cohen from nineteen sixty seven, is is way before "Hallelujah." "Hallelujah" was uh, released on an album called "Various Positions" in nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Um and it's you know we have hallelujah in our little <laughs> intro montage thing of, yeah. for the show. Of course Jeff Buckley's version is what we we're using. Uh it was a subject of a book called The Holy or the Broken Leonard Cohen Jeff Buckley and the Unlikely Ascent of Hallelujah by Alan Light if you guys if anybody is interested in in reading that. Yeah. Um, and I just thought there was a one interesting thing because this is talking about hallelujah, but I think it's indicative of just how of Cohen himself, like how he works and what kind of dedication and passion he puts in to 
his writing and his songs and everything. Um, this is a quote from, from this book that I just mentioned. It said uh, that uh, Cohen spent years struggling with his song, Hallelujah. He wrote perhaps as many as 80 verses before paring the song down and recording it in 1984. Mm. Uh, and then it says, then his label CBS Records refused to release various positions not realizing that Hallelujah would become one of the most haunting, mutable, and oft-performed songs in American musical history. So I, don't know, I just thought that was a little interesting blurb there. Yeah, that that doesn't seem so hard to believe. He seems like someone who, I mean, even with this record we're going to talk about, who constantly had dealings with record companies and labels and producers. And, you know, he, he, he obviously has this very clear vision at times of what he wants to do that that seems to maybe clash with everyone except for him you know i mean it, i mean i i guess in that in that sense you know like you said 80 different you know sort of written down lyrics to that one song i mean you know yeah 80 verses i mean that's that's a yeah that's practically that's, a book in itself, but yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. And I mean, but I mean, he seems to be like one of those guys that, I mean, that'll be part of his legacy too, where he he worked tirelessly, tirelessly in his writing. And I mean, you know, so many of his songs. I mean, that's another thing about songwriters. I mean, when people begin to cover your songs, that are their their musical style is nothing like yours. I mean, Bob Dylan is like one of those other people where, where people will take his songs and, and do totally different versions of them just because of the content of the song is so good. They want to do the song. Larry Cohen is like that too, where, I mean, his Suzanne has been covered by, you know, Nina Simone and, and, and Judy Collins and all these different people. I mean, you know, everybody knows who by fire, so many different songs of his that have been done and done and done. In, in different ways. I mean, you know, I mean, that's just, like I said, again, another testament to the man who he, he's a he's a great visionary for writing songs and, and and putting words together. I mean, where they have so much more meaning, you know, and I mean, that's, it's, it's simple to say that, but just to do it the way he does it. I mean, he has he has such a dark, almost I hate to use that word gothic. But he does. He has like this. It's 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 like this really dark side to him, that that it just amazes me. <laughs> you know, when he looks into the the mess of of how things can be in life. You know how how ugly love can be. How how sad it can be. How how brutal it is to be lonely. And 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 his torch. I mean, as far as you know, you have torch songs and torch singers. His torch burns like nobody else's. I mean, when he longs for somebody, I mean, you can feel it <laughs> in the song. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one thing about him that really amazes me too, is is the way he he pervades loneliness and longing in music and in song. I mean, and and, and in a very simple way. I mean, no, you know, no fireworks and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just real quiet and and and, and subtle at times you know right right so yeah 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 absolutely uh the first track we're going to listen to is called sisters of mercy and uh this one it's hard for me to say uh, to comment on the lyrical content i mean really without doing some more hardcore studying of it the 
the sort of poetry here, and that's what we're really talking about here is, I mean, this is poetry, uh, pure poetry put to music, but it's, you know, it's a very sort of high minded poetry, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I don't know. It's, I, I really don't know what the song is about. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, you know, the musical part of it, uh, first of all, the, just the sound of the record. Um, I don't know if this is a criticism. Or it's not really a criticism. It just really sounds like the period. You know what I mean? Like the late sixties, yeah. the whole, I mean, just the, yeah. the whole production value, the, the, everything, just the way the record sounds just sounds so of the period. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and there was a kind of an interesting battle with this record. I guess he was working with his producer, John Simon, and John Simon, you know, being the 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 record dude, the producer, sort of wanted more complex arrangements on the record with strings and organs and all this kind of stuff. And Cohen, you know, just he just wanted it totally pared down and bare, just like a voice and a guitar. Yeah. Pretty much that that was it. That's what he wanted. And so I guess what happened was that John Simon had had put all these complex arrangements on the record, you know, recorded, you know, after uh, um, Leonard's part was recorded. But then Mm -hmm. after that, Leonard got his hands on the master tapes and tried to take all of it off. And he couldn't. He couldn't. (laughs) But, but I think they, what they, what he tried to do is minimize it as much as he could. Um, so there's a weird mix in this song. It's like, uh, you, you know, you can hear Leonard and his guitar very clearly. And then at one point in the song, this sort of part, I don't know, percussion and accordion comes in. It's real. You almost have to wear headphones to really hear it because it's so low in the mix. Um, but I, I don't, I can't decide if it's like, intentional or not because what ends up happening how how it's presented is really low in the mix it starts over in the left speaker and then sort of slowly moves over through the you know spatial field into the right speaker it's and it's almost like a one-man band like if you're playing guitar in your apartment and then somebody who's like a one-man band just sort of slowly walks by outside that's kind of what it sounds like Mm -hmm. um it, so I, I don't know. I don't know if the, if it's intentional that it's, you know, super low in the mix or if it was one of these examples of Leonard Cohen trying to, you know, minimize it as much as possible. I don't know. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, like I said, the, going back to, to him and, and, and what he wanted to do and the clash that he had with the producer of this album, especially it, it's, it's funny to listen back to it and, and try to imagine, you know, what it would have sounded like originally if he had had his way, you know, would it have been better. Would it have been, you know, not so good. I mean, because I like this version. I mean, even though, like you said, it's kind of got some weird nuances that go on and, and I, in the song, I, I still like it. I mean, I mean the the little sort of elements like there's a there's like a little like a tingling bell sound you know in and out of the song. I mean, I I I I I think it, it's it's kind of like you said it's indicative of the period, 
where it's it's the 60s and there's love and there's peace and all that. And I, I think that may have been something that, that maybe he was trying to fight against, like the little things in the song like that. But it still works for me. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure that, you know, since this, he's he's probably gone on to do different versions. And, you know, we could kind of listen to that and, and, and expound more, you know, listening to, you know, newer versions of the song that he maybe replayed. But, I mean, for the the first time that you... Hello. Hi. <laughs> the first time you get a sense of, of who he is, I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, to to see it, you know, the way it is now. I mean, for that period and, and what was going on, like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's good, but you know, you know, it's, it's Leonard Cohen being who he is. I mean, not, not wanting to compromise and, and, and sort of right, bow right. down to the so-called powers that be. I mean, he seems like someone who, who probably still fights that fight. Oh yeah. Know? Yeah. Even yeah. though he, he's Leonard Cohen, you know, you know, people's like, well, we, we've got this idea of, of what we should do. And I mean, I'm sure in, in terms that we can't describe on on this show, he probably tells them, you know, what they can do with their ideas. <laughs> right. Right. And all that. So. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, just so, just just forever. The, the you know, just kind of, you know, poet, songwriter, you know, you know, longing and, and lusting and, you know, just, you know, he, he he's just one of those guys. That, I mean. I, I didn't really come into knowing who Leonard Cohen was until maybe like in the mid '80s, when I was like a teenager. He he did this record with uh, Jennifer Warnes, which uh, I think that's her name. Um, it was a record called "The Famous Blue Raincoat," where he it was basically songs of his that she covered. And uh, I, ironically, she she did the song with with Joe Cocker. We we talked about a few weeks ago that was in that. That movie, Officer and a Gentleman, uh, that Up Where We Belong song. Remember that oh, song? Oh, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> and um, like I said, she did a, a record of, of songs of his and, you know, songs of Leonard Cohen. I was like, who the hell's Leonard Cohen? I mean, this is me as a teenager. Who the hell's Leonard Cohen? And that's where I began to discover, you know, you know who, who he was and then and then realized what a prolific, you know, songwriter figure yeah. he was, you know, and, and you know, his influence and how deep it ran and, and long it ran, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for me, it was way later. I mean, I, it was when I, it was like, um, well, when I listened to Jeff Buckley, grace, that was the first time that I'd heard Leonard Cohen, but, um, yeah, let's, let's check this uh, first track out. This is, cool. uh, yeah, Leonard Cohen with Sisters of Mercy. Oh, the sisters of mercy, they are not departed or gone. They were waiting for me when I thought that I just can't go on. And they brought me their comfort and later they brought song Oh, I hope you run into them you who've been traveling so long Yes, you who 
must leave everything that you cannot control. It begins with your family, but soon it comes round to your soul. Well, I've been where you're hanging, I think I can see how you're pinned. When you're not feeling holy, your loneliness says that you've sinned. just heard sisters of mercy and we're going to move on to his song teachers and this is an interesting i don't know this has got an interesting accompaniment that i sort of wrote down in my notes as spastic spanish guitar (laughs) 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 it's just this kind of uh sort of unrelenting you know fast arpeggiated accompaniment you know on this uh i think it's interesting he plays a kind of a nylon string guitar you know on this record i don't know it's not something you hear super often in uh uh you know music outside of classical guitar or spanish you know flamenco or something like that um and uh yeah what i don't know what do you think of teachers uh i i mean the the last couple of songs it seems like you know obviously he, he's he's singing about you know, women who are, who've been in his life and, and, and have kind of touched him in a certain way. And, you know, seemingly have, you know, kind of come and gone where he, he, he misses them. And I, I, I get that sense in both of these songs where it's, it's, it's a, you know, a man longing for, you know, a woman who, you know, was not meant to be in his life, but, you know, made a lasting impression that he kind of, you know, still wants to, you know, have her, you know, influence or, or love or, or or passion, if you will. And and I mean, it, it seems like that that's that's like a reoccurring theme in, in most of most of his music. Um, as, as far as like, you know, relationship wise is, is that that longing for the, the girl that was or the woman that was, I should say. Um, and I, and I keep, I keep thinking to myself, you know, I mean, obviously Leonard Cohen probably, I mean, in, in real life, I mean, is, is not hurting. I mean, in that department, (laughs) maybe, maybe (laughs) not, but I mean, he just seems like a guy who, who constantly has women, you know, vying for his affection, if you would, I mean, you know, of all types, but, but even still, you know, there's the one that wasn't was there and is not there now. And I mean, I, I think that that's something that he, he still probably maybe even deals with now. I mean, I, that's the sense that I get from, from this song and, and, and the previous song where, you know, he, he's always, he's always remembering and, and, and it always drives him to kind of, you know, reflect on, on what was, even if it was for like a very brief moment, you know, um, and, the, and like you said, the guitar, I mean, in the song, it is, it, it's like a Spanish styled guitar where, you know, I, I think, again, if if he had had his way, you know, like like it says in the book, that's probably all you would have heard is his voice 
and the guitar. Yeah, yeah. You know, and nothing else. All the different atmosphere and, and the little elements of, of things going on here and there. And again, like I said, I, I kind of like that because it, it, it kind of adds to the mood. But but Leonard Cohen was, I mean, he was so very much about the lyrics and what he was saying. And, and it seemed like nothing else was really that important to him. I mean, you know, maybe he's changed a little bit since. I mean, you know, it was a very long time ago, but when he when he first started, it seems like that's all he wanted. He just his voice and a guitar and nothing else, you know. Which which that would have been good too, but um, the the producer that worked on this record, I mean, you know, I, I think he his his input is 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 definitely it helped the record a lot. Yeah, to yeah. me, you know, it seems like it did. I mean, you know. Either way, it probably would have been good, but I think it, it was good, definitely as presented. You know, even though mm-hmm. Larry Cohen tried to sort of turn it back. Right, <laughs> right. Oh, man, I think you said it. Let's just uh, check it out. Cool. This is uh, Leonard Cohen with Teachers. I ate and ate and ate. No, I did not miss a plate. Well, how much do these suppers cost? We'll take it out in hate. I spent my hatred every place On every work, on every face Someone gave me wishes And I wished for an embrace Several girls embraced me then I was embraced by men Is my passion perfect? No, do it once again I was handsome, I was strong I knew the words of every song Did my singing please you? No, the words you sang were wrong Who is it whom I address? Who takes down what I confess? Are you the teachers of my heart? We teach old hearts to rest Teachers, all my lessons done I cannot do another one They laughed and laughed and said Well, child, are your lessons done? Are your lessons done? Are your lessons done? And we just heard Teachers of Leonard Cohen And we're going to move on to our last artist for this show Nat King Cole and the album The Complete After Midnight Sessions, released in 1957. And uh, Nat King Cole, uh, if you're not familiar with him already, uh, started out as a jazz pianist and really was just kind of a a jazz pianist and jazz musician for a long time. He didn't really identify himself as a singer. Isn't that something? Yeah, and he, he sort of came to singing, I guess, from what I've read, you know, sort of reluctantly and slowly. Um, and I think, uh, when he was playing out with his trio in Los Angeles in the forties, um, and they were playing, you know, straight ahead jazz and he started to do a little singing and people wanted to hear him sing more and more and more. And, uh, that sort of took over his career and he, and he really became one of the greatest singers of the 20th century. I mean, really, um, and, uh, eventually became, uh, just a you know super famous singer, a, a radio host, a television host. Um, I don't know, just did a a whole just super talented dude. I mean, yeah, super talented. first 
first black man to ever have a TV show. Ever. Really? First one. I did, I did not realize that. Wow. They they um they have a documentary I think about that which I I should have posted that if I could have found. It. Anyway, the the show had to be canceled. Guess why? Because of letters and death threats. Uh that yeah. <laughs> the station and that King Cole received. I mean, it was a really good show. It's kind of like just little, you know, variety, you know, performing and but yeah, the very first man of color to have his own show way back in the day. Wow. And uh yeah, Nat King Cole was um yeah, we talk about giants and music, you know, Nat King Cole was was definitely one. So uh, and and just what you said about him not really singing initially and, and being more of a piano player, which he was obviously listening to this. He was an amazing, you know, piano player yeah, yeah. And, and, and jazz musician. I, I think it's sort of like a testament to his his spirit and his hum, humility. I mean, he wasn't someone who who felt like he needed to be up front all the time. I mean, it was just one of those things where the guy was so gifted eventually you know people were like okay guy look you know we know that you're you got a band and you're in the band but we need you to sing we need you up front you know we need you to be the man you know which obviously it was not his intention to go there initially um but he was like i said he the guy was such an amazing an amazing dude i mean he had the look he had the sound i mean there's nobody that i really can think of that had a voice like his then or now. I yeah, mean, I agree. Just, yeah. His voice is absolutely unique. I think very, um, yeah, very, you know, and then this, the funny thing, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, nothing. I was just going to say, I don't know. I'm just going to go on about how awesome <laughs> his voice was. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Just the funny thing about this record is that the, the genuine, you know, feel about this record when I listen to it, and obviously when you read about it, is that Nat King Cole with his voice and, and the ballads and the, and the orchestra had sold out, you know, and it had a lot of critics saying that he had strayed away from what made him famous to begin with, which was being a great, you know, jazz musician. And I mean, that's funny in itself to think that even Nat King Cole you know, as as bad as he was, had critics, you know, that that really were kind of, you know, down on him. I mean, Ray Charles kind of went through the same thing where Ray kind of started out with with kind of blues and soul and and and, and kind of rootsy, you know, gut bucket type music and then went to the same card where people wanted to hear him sing, you know, ballads and and then for Ray it was even worse where he went to sing country music. And people thought he'd gone crazy or whatever, <laughs> but he was just one of those guys like Nat King Cole. Who had, he was versatile, you know, and could do a lot of stuff and wasn't. This is the thing that I another thing I got. There is no way as a musician, even as talented as you are being Nat King Cole, that you are going to please everybody. There's of no. Course, free- yeah. And, and that's that's a great you know way to put this record even into perspective, because you know, as good musically, and this is a very good record musically. I know you've listened to it and, and, and loved it a lot where he's not the only good player on this record. I mean, there are several outstanding 
soloist on this Dude, record. Everybody on this record is awesome. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's again, it goes back to his his spirit where he can just be one of the guys. He can just be a player. He's not just, you know, the man that can call always. He can fit in to a really good jazz combo, sound really great, sing occasionally, and then draw back a little bit where everybody kind of does their thing. And and I'm sure, you know, there were critics of this record even where, well, he's not singing enough. And I'm, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, just, just what do you yeah. want you know so anyway yeah um, well you know when you i mean when he got to that point and like you said when ray charles got to that point and all this stuff you know they just had to be like you know what i'm just gonna do what i'm gonna do and just you just can't listen to that you know yeah, because yeah. you're right you know you can't please everybody and uh there's always gonna be you know haters <laughs> yeah <laughs> haters detractors they, they won't go away just so because no you- no, they you try won't. to change your style up. They're yeah. always they're waiting in the weeds. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Especially like you said, yeah, for for a versatile artist. You know, there's a lot of people out there that just you know they have their first experience with an artist, and then they just want that artist to just keep doing that same thing over and over again. And when you have a great artist, a great artist is just not content with you know recycling the same thing over and over yes. again. You know, yes. And so there's always going to be those people that that just don't like that. But, um. Yeah, I you like you said, you know, I loved this album. I thought it was just, uh, you know, amazing. I, I'd ne- I've heard Nat King Cole before, you know, but I'd never heard this particular album. And uh, it's just amazing to hear how talented the guy really was because you can hear, I mean, all his talents kind of come out in this record. Yeah. And um, what a great pianist he was, what a great musician he was, and, of course, what a great singer he was. Um, and, and also a gr- what a great kind of arranger and interpreter he was, yeah. you know, cause they do a several different songs that we've even heard, uh, on other albums on this, like caravan, like we're not going to mm-hmm. listen to caravan, but caravan is on this album. You know, we've, we heard it, we've heard caravan and, so, you know, on several other albums that we've talked about and, in that th- this version of caravan is like so distinctive yeah. And um, and yeah. just and yeah, it's just great. Um, I'm 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 glad you brought that up because I mean, like you said, we're not playing Caravan, but his version of this song became a standard for a lot of other people. Even though yeah. the song itself is a standard on its own, but his version became many people's model, and and that's saying something when you can take a song that's been done, you know, to the hilt. And all of a sudden, what you did suddenly became an ideal for what people move on from and do on their own. Even if they don't do the same version, you know, they look at your version and go, "Good, this this was really good. This is how this is how you play this song, the way they did it." And then we we're either gonna do it a lot like this, or we're gonna, you know, have elements of this where we do our own version. I mean, that's that's amazing in itself. Where that kind of performance goes on years after it's been done route 66 another one you know where he just he just set the bar again so high and now people are looking at that bar and like hey you know what if we don't try to do what he did at least a little bit then we just look ridiculous you know so yeah 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 yeah. well um the the first track that we're actually going to play is called just you just me it's the first track on the record 
Um, and it's just, man, it's just a, a, I don't know, you know, like, like the, the previous album we listened to Leonard Cohen. Um, if I were to, to have any criticism of that album is that, it, you know, it sounds kind of dated, you know, it really mm-hmm. sounds of the, of the period sounds a little dated, you know, the production. Now this sounds of the period, but man, it is timeless. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just like, it is just, it's so great. I mean, it, it can't swing harder. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just like the best, um, just swingingest tune. I, I don't know. That's I can say, you know, but, um, you know, it really shows off his voice, really shows off his piano playing. I, uh, one other thing I like, I loved on the track actually is John Collins guitar playing. Um, I just he's who is a fantastic jazz guitarist. He has a he has a great solo in this uh, track, and uh, yeah, I just loved it. What do you what do you think of this one? Uh, when you said swing, I mean that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I listen to this. It's just they're they're very tight. They're they're all together, and then like you said, this track it 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 just it swings, and that's not even a term I like using, but it, it's the first thing that comes to my mind is that this this track swings and i think that's also being that it's the first track on the album one of the things that they wanted to get across to the listeners that we can still do this we can still swing we're not in a nursing home yet you know we can still play (laughs) you know which was obviously one of the the criticisms you know and um some of this really seems like they're they're being sort of and even the book says it they're sort of being conceited where you know, this is just us playing for us, you know, and it's like a, a situation where all the paying customers have left the club and it's just the band kind of, you know, doing what they do, you know, on their own. You know, the, the band seems like they're they're really kind of in a zone where, you know, they're, they're just playing, you know, for their own, you know, enjoyment at times. And, uh you know, if people don't really like it or care, that's that's their problem. You know, and um, that that's really a, a, an interesting concept where a musician can kind of, you know, play for their own, you know, enjoyment and, and, and get away from the idea of, you know, playing for, you know, a crowd or, or a group of, you know, so-called jazz lovers, if you will. I mean, or music lovers of any type. I mean, when the when the band just kind of plays for themselves, I I get that feeling on this record at times where they they're just kind of digging their own stuff, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can feel that just just how much they're into it, and yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah let's check this out. This first track. Cool. This is uh, Nat King Cole with "Just You, Just Me." Just you, just me Let's find a cozy spot to cuddle and woo Just us, just we I've missed an awful lot, my trouble is you Oh gee, what are your charms for? What are my arms for? Use your imagination just see you 
just me Our tired lovers not around wonderful you Just You, Just Me, and we're going to move on to Sometimes I'm Happy. And this is, I picked this one because I, I wanted to sort of play, um, I don't know, both sides of the spectrum here. So so Just You, Just Me is a really up-tempo, swinging tune. This is a ballad, like a, you know, like a crooner ballad. Yeah. Um, it really shows off that, I don't know, that, that smoky baritone just smooth distinctive voice that that he had you know mm-hmm. yeah um yeah yeah what'd you think of this one i i totally agree just just very romantic um you can just hear smoke coming off of his voice if you will i mean the guy really had one of the greatest voices i think of our our generation i mean just very unique very difficult to to sort of replicate. I mean, ask you know his daughter who went through and 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 sang you know a bunch of his songs on that that album that came out you know in the nineties the, the unforgettable record. I mean, she talks about how the arrangements and and the singing on those songs. She realized you know after being you know into it for just a few weeks that it was not going to be easy. I mean, even though she's a she's an accomplished singer on her own, singing that King Cole arrangements and and in the style that he sang is is not easy at all. I mean, he he was a great singer and I mean a talented singer and a gifted singer with his voice. I mean, where he could do so many things with his voice. And um and it comes through in this where I mean, it's it's just so smooth. And and the one thing you know, playing wise that comes out in this song um, that I cannot get over is the violin solo that's in this song. Right, <laughs> right, right. Really, right. really so awesome. I mean, I think the guy's name is Stuff Stuff Smith. That's right. Was, was the player <laughs> Stuff. Stuff, all, that's right. Stuff. Yeah, of all names. Um, well, that was a, uh, I think that was a nickname. Yeah. And, his, and he, his actual name, oh man. You want to hear his actual name? Sure. His actual name is Hezekiah Leroy Gordon Smith. Wow. Okay. I get. I now I get stuff. Stuff. That's <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, just a really, really, really sweet solo that he puts on yeah. this record that that really shines. And I mean, again, that again, going back to that King Cole, you know, he, he's got a chip on his shoulder, but he's got room to let other people shine. I mean, that's that's such a unique quality in a musician of his level. I mean, somebody that keeps coming to my mind when I think about this record, even though this person is not really, I mean, he's not really Nat King Cole, but, but, but Prince is one of those guys that obviously Prince has a, a major chip on his shoulder, you know, when it comes to, you know, how he plays and the level of talent that he plays at. And, and it, is, it is often not really ready to so-called, I guess, reveal or, or share that spotlight to others. I mean, he, he can do it, but but he's somewhat more reserved about it, I guess, you know, a lot of the times. I mean, you know, nobody wants to get, you know, outshined or, or, or sort of so-called, I guess, you know, showed out in front of, you know, when you're when you're on stage or, or when you're performing or whatever. But this is one of those situations where, you know, Nat King Cole could could have just made it all about him. But this record is not like that. I mean, it's it's one of those records where he he kind of, you know, will lean back and and let other people who have really, really great talents kind of kind of shine on their own, you know. And I mean, that's that's just really great. That's 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 one of those things where when you see something in someone, when you know you you've got talent, but you see other talent in other people, say, hey man, you know what? This is this is your time. Go ahead, this is your solo or whatever. You know, I I love that. I love that because he didn't have to do that. I mean, you know, he could have just made this record all about him, and it would have been fine. But it's even better knowing that you know he's good as well as the other players on this record. You know. They they're also, you know, their contribution is is just as major at times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned his, you know, that kind of smoky quality of his voice. One thing I thought was interesting um, was that the smoking, you know, he was a heavy smoker. Mm-hmm. And before he would go out on stage and sing, he would smoke like four or five cigarettes, like in rapid succession, because he felt like that contributed to the sound of his voice. And, and you know maybe he was right i don't know but it actually ended up killing him yeah um, I, I, yeah i i totally would yeah i, I would agree i i, I believe that because i i've heard that story too where that he would constantly chain smoke especially before performances in in the fact that he felt like it it enhanced the sound of his voice and what he could do vocally and like you said i think eventually it was his downfall where you know the the, the smoking, you know, led to cancer and the cancer led to his passing. And, um, you know, it's, it's very sad because he was not very old when he passed away. I mean, you know, he he done right. quite a bit, right. you know, for for a musician that, you know, a lot of people would, would wish to have the, the sort of success that he had in the period he was here. But, um, yeah, I, I've, I've heard that that story and read about that, too, about his his smoking. And um, and how I mean, you could you can tell, I mean, you know, the way his his voice sounded, I mean, a lot of that came from the throat. And, you know, I, I think it was throat cancer that he he had when no, he passed. It, was, it was lung cancer. Oh, it was lung. OK, lung yeah, cancer. OK. Yeah. But um, 
Well, that's what Wikipedia said, and as we know, if it says it yeah. on Wikipedia, it's it's true. And it's it's got to be right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, just you know, he just had that that quality in his voice where it could be heavy but not harsh. You know, heavy but but this really really velvet smooth. And um, you know, like I said, there there really is nobody that I can think of. You know, as far as men that sang that had anything close to what he had. I mean, there were there were so many great singers that, you know, you know, guys that were singers, men, you know, that that were vocal style, if you would. But but Nat King Cole was really he was on a a whole nother level, a class all by himself, I believe, you know, yeah. Yeah, man. Let's check out this last track from Nat King Cole. This is Sometimes I'm Happy. Sometimes I love you Sometimes I hate you But when I hate you It's cause I love you That's how I am So what can I do I'm happy when I'm with you I'm happy when I'm with And we just heard Sometimes I'm Happy from Nat King Cole. And that's going to do it for episode 43 of the 1000 Recordings Podcast. If you'd like to send us an email, send us one to 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to join us on Twitter, we're at twitter.com slash 1000rp. If you'd like to go to our website and uh, see what we've played, uh, that website is 1000rp.blogspot.com. And we have some links to all the records that we play if you want to uh, 
<clears throat> go and purchase those. And uh, you know, if we pur- if you purchase them through our website, through Amazon, we get a little kickback from that. So uh, you know, do that if you can. Um, also, if you like the show, or even if you hate the show, uh, go on to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, and we will re- read that review uh, on the podcast, and it'll help our our visibility and stuff, and uh, you know, having more people discover the podcast. Um, and yes, next week. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be back next week. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Um, we've got stuff going on. We've got Lots an all weeks. yeah. We've got an all jazz show next week. We've um, got a uh, yeah. Uh, do you want to read it? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just something. I, I was distracted by something. Um, <laughs> I would go ahead. I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, so we've got an album of Ornette Coleman, uh, The Shape of Jazz to Come. Uh, then we've got two albums of John Coltrane, uh, Blue Train and A Love Supreme. So it's all jazz saxophone next week. Yeah, um, that, that's going to be fun. Uh, yeah. Ornette Coleman, just one of the, I guess, great, you know, avant-garde kind of, you know, wild style jazz, if you will. I mean, um, Ornette Coleman could could pack them in and, and clear them out all at the same time. I mean, that guy had had a really crazy whale on, on his saxophone. And obviously John Coltrane is really, I mean, one of the, one of the godfathers of jazz. I mean, what what's funny about this week too, I mean, talking about Nat King Cole, you know, the week after, or the podcast after, I shouldn't say the week after that third record by John Coltrane and, and Johnny Hartman, you know, Johnny Hartman is one of those guys that I think of Nat King Cole when I think of him, he's, he's almost like Nat King Cole Jr., which I hope, you know, fans of his don't, take offense to that but he had that same kind of velvet smooth you know vocal as well which you know and i know i'm getting ahead but anyway um that record i i can't wait to talk about that record that's one of those records where i mean it's one of the most romantic records at times that i've ever listened to in my life i mean just john coltrane in his prime and a vocalist that could just blow and anyway you know john coltrane is going to be fun to talk about i just I love that guy. I mean, I love his music. I mean, you know, we could spend the whole show and pretty much almost will spend the whole show talking about him. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Cool, man. Well, um, yeah, hopefully we'll be back next week and uh, nothing unforeseen will come up. And uh, I will be broadcasting from upstate New York next week. Cool. And that, that should be interesting. Um yeah, and uh, any anything else you want to say before we go? Um, no, I, I think I'm good. Okay, cool. Well, uh, we will see you all next week for more music, and I'll see you next week, Mitch, and later. All right, bye. Happy Father's Day, all the fathers. Bye-bye. Yeah, right, happy Father's Day. Later.